Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drukarsh. And for those who don't know me, I've been a successful realtor in Canada's largest market for over 30 years. And in the later years of my career, I was co-founder of Canada's largest independent real estate brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of over 5,500 agents and growing. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast, and it's been a remarkable way to meet people in real estate and related fields, find out about their career, their journey, and talk about the business of real estate. Our guest today is one of those remarkable people, Suzanne Wilkinson. Suzanne's a principal at Figure 3, one of Canada's leading independent design firms. Suzanne, welcome to the program. Thank you, Howard. Great no, being here today. Well, thank you. Great to see you again. Um, I'd like to start this way. Why don't you tell our viewers uh, a bit about your background and also uh, about Figure 3 and, uh, you know, how the the industry works. And then we'll get in some questions, okay? Well, I got, thank you, Howard. Um, as far as my background, I grew up in a very modest small town in eastern Ontario on a farm. Um, so you kind of have to ask the question, how did I get into design? Um, I really, really had a passion about um, how an environment can really inspire people and make them feel happy and and change their mood and when they engage in space. And um, I really got inspired by taking a course um, in in high school on on furniture making, and that really got me working with my hands and working um, in creating. Um, you know, pieces, and it just inspired me to to get into the design into the design world. So, uh, when I moved from home, I got into interior design and uh, graduated about twenty five years ago, and uh, moved to Toronto and started my professional career in Toronto. Okay, um, and you know, a lot of people, you know, kind of understand design, but not necessarily the difference between different kinds of design work and what different companies do. Um, let's talk about this. What way do design companies assist developers? Well, you know, jumping right into working with developers, um, I work with them both in the commercial real estate world as well as in condomin condominium development um, and purpose-built rentals. And I would say working with an organization of our size that we do bring a wealth of knowledge to our customer base. Um, we work with a lot of different developers and um, we know what's happening in the industry. So certainly with commercial real estate, um, we have, you know, we're, we're brought on board uh, as trusted advisors with our clients. And we do get the opportunity to ask them a lot of questions about their business and where their business is going and where they see the future of their business to be. And so when, when the developers are asking us, you know, what should be, what, what should be included in our new developments for commercial real estate, we really do have a wealth of knowledge of where the future of workplace is going to be. Um, likewise, in, in residential developments, we, we have a very good understanding of what's being offered throughout, um, throughout the country. Uh, and so we, we can offer that um, perspective to our, to our clients who are developers. I know in the development field, things have been changing kind of rapidly, not only in terms of materials, but also in terms of technology, um, you know, where um, electric cars are important and, you know, developers have to kind of build that into their plans. Have you seen that in, in work that you've been doing uh, lately? 
Well, for sure. We, when working with developers, they're really trying to get an edge uh, with all the different developments that are happening in the in the city, especially in the city of Toronto, more specifically. Uh, but we're now seeing that, you know, certainly with the workplace, that developers want to offer more, um, more from a perspective of um, sustainability, from wellness, from inclusivity. Um, and offering a lot more amenities to um, to their commercial uh, customers, and so we're definitely definitely seeing a shift in in how developers are designing their 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 spaces. And and uh, and going back to the beginning part of your career, how has the role of design companies changed from when you started uh, in the design uh, world? Well, definitely when I got into my career, I, I really had the perspective that it was all about aesthetics. But the more I dug deeper into my career and as as um, the times have evolved, we've gone much more away from just aesthetics. Obviously, that is really important. Um, but we really brought in on a strategic level now uh, the types of engagement that we have at the forefront of our projects and the types of questions we ask are much deeper. And we actually get quite deep into business strategies with our clients um, and we can assist them with how their physical environments can support them with their business strategies. And and with developers who are, um, let's work, I guess, talk about the commercial side first. Um, you know, as you know, as everybody in the business knows, it takes more than a couple of weeks to put up a building. So you're, you're planning years ahead. Uh, do you find... Uh, from the planning stage to actually getting closer to initiate the building, that plans change because needs or demands change along the way? Absolutely. I mean, the key is to be nimble um, and to understand um, why we need to make these changes. Uh, and so they absolutely do. And in the lifespan of a project from beginning to end, things change constantly. So it's really important that you know, you, you have a vision and you stay on track and, and that you you don't forget why you're doing what you're doing. And so it is our jobs to make sure that we stay focused, but at the same time that we're open and nimble and understand, you know, what the end result is meant to be. I know that a lot of people who, who don't know design or don't know what the design field is about, they, as you mentioned, they think it's primarily a creative field where if you have a creative bent, it's a good field to go into. Um, but what would you say are the most important skills outside of that, obviously, creative part? Well, the beauty about interior design is that once you get into the industry, you can you can take different paths. Um, certainly, creativity is one of them from an interior design perspective and from an aesthetic perspective. But um, you can get into strategy, you can get into project management, you can get into many different aspects of um, the process um, into, you know, you know, being very uh, technical to being very creative. Um, so there's a lot of different venues that you can really choose. There's so many different paths you can take once you get into interior design. And um, obviously, this question relates to everything in the world right now, but technology. Um, how has technology mm -hmm. changed and how, how do you, I mean, it's constantly changing. How do you adapt to that in your business? Well, I, I saw a lot of change in my 25 years. Yeah. Um, when I graduated, I had a great skill set to, you know, work at my drafting board and do 3D sketches and 
And uh, it was definitely an art form with a hand. And um, at the time, it was just the beginning of really AutoCAD uh, coming into play. And so um, technology has come a long way now where it's it's definitely making us better at what we do. Uh, 3D technology that is really easy to use now. Uh, we use that a lot in order for us to be able to, you know, understand the physical space and the complexity of space. Um, being able to also make sure that our clients know what what we're designing and it helps them visualize as well. And the technology now of, of photorealistic renderings and um, 3D fly-throughs and all of that has really helped us become better designers and our clients can visualize more what, what they're buying. Um, but also another piece of technology that's changed a lot in the last few years is how we can engage virtually with our clients, obviously with COVID. And, you know, I would have told you when COVID hit that, you know, or before COVID hit, I would say, no, our designers must come to the office every day. There's no way we could do our job virtually. But of course, um, COVID was the test to that. And we now do a lot of things virtually. And we found certain technologies can help us do our visioning sessions and um, some of our, our workshops where we engage with people across Canada and the US and, and do these workshops with them in order to um, instead of flying on a plane and traveling across the city, um, we have found ways to use technology to be able to engage with our clients. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot out there, um, softwares for surveys to collect data as well. So technology has been amazing for the interior design industry. And, and you mentioned about, uh, um, I guess, being in um, conference and things like that. Is there much collaboration between design firms in different countries? Like, do you learn from each other? Do you belong to organizations that, that help everybody? Yeah, Figure 3 uh, does belong to a global network called mm -hmm. the One Global Design Group. Um, we have representation across um, Canada, United States, Mexico, um, London, uh, India, and various other countries um, where we're all the independently owned companies that, that join together in order to offer a global service. And so we do tap into that as entrepreneurs when we do need to you know, gain insights on um, you know, global, global mm -hmm. issues. And how, how does Canada, this is a good, good question on this, how does Canada fit into, I guess, the ranking in the world of design compared to all these other countries you mentioned? Well, some of the top designers in the world are born out of Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd say we're very highly regarded, certainly from our design capabilities on a global scale. Um, and certainly in the residential development marketplace, being the fastest growing city in the world, we are looked at very closely from our, um, you know, what we're producing from a residential development perspective. It's, it's, we certainly have the, the eye of the world on what Toronto is doing. Interesting. I mean, everybody who, who follows this industry knows Toronto is got, I think it's got more, um, cranes than any other city in North America or something like that. It's, it's quite unique in your own firm. I know, cause, uh, I know a bit about your firm. There's the commercial part, but then you're also into multi-unit design as well. How, how do you, how do you, for those that are interested in both, how would you define skill set for commercial skill set, uh, if it's any different for multi-unit? There's certainly nuances to understanding the different realms that we work in. So we do, to your point, we do multifamily residential, we do commercial, we also have a retail group. 
And um, there's nuances to understanding the industry and the language. And um, I think that as a designer, we are all designers and, um, but there are nuances for sure. So I, I think when I, when I, certainly our philosophy at figure three is that we, there, there's, there's always another way to do something. And so um, we always encourage our designers to stay open-minded and that ability to really listen to your customer base on what's needed and not just think about what you as a designer needs is really one of the best skill sets that you can, you can develop um, as an interior designer to be able to solve problems creatively, uh, be open-minded. I say that is um, certainly the advice that I give to any new designers coming into the industry. Uh, I know like in other professions, there people work client side or, or they work a, um, a service side, then they go client side. In, in your, in, I'm just curious about this as well. Do clients have, I don't know, designers there that you interact with or who, who are the people you talk to when you're working with these clients? Um, well, it, it depends on the industry. Sometimes if we're talking about the, the commercial residential industry, there are sometimes um, in-house interior designers that we work with. Um, we work often with architects as well that have interior designers that work with them. And um, it's when it comes to design, it's, it's always a collaborative process. It's always about pulling together the best ideas to solve the problem for the client. And so I would say that, um, you know, uh, the more ideas on the table, the better. And as long as you have a clear vision that, um, you know, it's, it becomes a more successful end result. Okay. And since you've had this great experience uh, um, in the industry, uh, and this might be hard to answer, but what are the most exciting projects that you've worked on? Wow, uh, quite a few. I would say one of my most memorable ones was um, the Coca-Cola headquarters when uh, both the bottling company and the marketing company came together under one roof for the first time. Mm -hmm. And we moved them from more of a suburban location to downtown Toronto urban location. And um, that was a, a really memorable experience because it was all from pre-real, you know, pre pre-real estate um, discussions, uh, working with um, landlords as well. And, and um, so it, it, we, we built a, a new structure on top of a, an older historical structure in Toronto and then built their headquarters there. So that, that one's um, very, very memorable for me in, in my past, but there's many, um, I would say my start in the condo world was with um, Concord 8X and, and that was my introduction to um, multifamily residential and that was, that's been kind of um, a great starting point for me and great memories as well. Clearly one of the premier uh, developers in Canada, not just in Toronto. Um, for those who don't know who they are, if you ever drive by the Rogers Centre, uh, mm -hmm. all those buildings are Concord 8X or most of them, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, they, they gave me my first my first uh, chance at doing multifamily residential, and that side of the business has grown to be one of our largest apartments at Figure Three. So um, there's so there, and it won't change. There's such a, um, a, a scarcity of of uh, residential units, right? That's one of you know we're talking about real estate and values. One of the problems is inventory. 
right? So that I don't see that changing. Do you? I mean, there, I don't know how many units behind the country is, but lots. Lots. And we're seeing, we are seeing lots of, um, we'll call it, I call them mega projects, but projects with 10, 15, 20 towers um, still. And we're just at the beginning of that. So from what I can see, and unless the industry changes, we've got lots of work for the next 15, 20 years. And um, I guess, uh, again, it's great that you have the history in this, in this field, but uh, if someone were to ask you in a, in a way to try to be simple on this question, what are the changes that you've seen in, in design? Um, and I'm sure it's kind of technology related, right? In the last few years. Um, actually, I mean, I can stay away from technology to answer this question. Um, when I started, um, you know, it, it, you know, it was more like conventional construction and good design. Um, I caught out in the industry during a bit of, um, you know, just after the recession. And so as time went on, um, we got into the sustainability movement. I'm sure you heard of it where, um, the lead program was brought into place and that was a huge change for the industry for construction and design um, and all the uh, manufacturers of products that needed to prove you know that their products were coming from sustainable sources and that they were um, and construction was being done in a sustainable way and that was a huge change for the industry and then um, about, I don't quote me on the time, but about five years ago, this wellness movement has come in with um, the FitWell and the Well programs, where we've gone beyond sustainability now. And now we're looking at, you know, the, the actual air quality and filtered water in the space and offering staff, you know, showers and so that they can bike to work and all of these about more about the individual and their wellness within a building. And now um, this, uh, it, the, the next movement uh, is another layer on top of that. And it's all about inclusivity and what that means. And what that means to, to me, and I'm still learning because there's lots to learn about this, but it's about, it's about um, age. It's about race. It's about, um, your physical ability, your mental ability, and it's making sure that your environment uh, creates a safe place for everyone to feel welcome. Um, so that is the next, that, that is the next, um, that is the way of the future right now that I can see. And, um, you know, this is all, these are all great things, but these are all things that have changed the industry over time and why we design the way we do now. So for designers, um, um, to kind of elaborate on that, what do you think are the, the biggest challenges designers face in this kind of evolution of, uh, of society? Um, the greatest challenges for designers. Um, I think that we, you know, it's a constant um, education. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to stay current and understand what this all means. It's very complex. Our industry is very complex. Um, and there's a lot of moving parts. And um, I think it's, uh, you know, staying relevant, staying current, um, understanding what is, you know, available to the designers. I, I, 
you know, I know if people are not used to listening to interior designers speak and they're learning, you know, about interior design for the first time here, it, it is very complex. We do worry about every product that goes in the space, mm-hmm. every, every um, environment that you design from the way it feels to the way it looks and to whether it's accessible for, you know, the blind or the hearing impaired or, you know, the physically impaired or, um, is it accepting all cultures? Is it accepting all genders? Um, it gets very complex. And um, I think that is a challenge for designers, but it's also really exciting because you get to continuously learn new things. So, um, so if you were to, you know, if someone were to ask you interested in getting into the, the world of interior design, um, and everybody's looking towards the future, I suppose, what do you see as the future for design companies? Well, I certainly think that we're becoming much more global in our way of thinking. Um, Definitely not as, you know, local um, due to technology and due to the ability to be able to pull resources from around the world. I think that we are just, you know, we're closing the gap when it comes to, um, you know, being able to access resources globally. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that with the pandemic and sort of the shortage of materials, we're all starting to also think very local in an, in another way, like people are, are thinking about, um, you know, local resources as far as product is concerned. So I think from a design perspective and creativity perspective, I think more global, global. And when I think about, um, what we're actually using within our space, like the products, I think that people are focusing more on local. And it's good. You actually lead me into the question I wanted to ask about how the pandemic may have affected um, the trend of working from home. Um, you know, there's benefits and there's drawbacks. If, if you're a young parent trying to uh, take care of kids and homeschool and work, it's a challenge. If, if you don't have that, but you, like all of us, miss the interaction. Uh, but what about on the business side? How How it sounds like you've overcome that quite nicely at figure three, but, but was that a challenge in the beginning to get people to feel comfortable working uh, mostly, in fact, entirely from home? It was quite a challenge initially. Like I said, um, if you had asked me if we could run our business remotely, I, you know, before COVID, I would have said, I don't think so, but we had to, and it goes to prove how adaptable human beings are. And, and when you think about, you know, a pandemic and a, in a time like this, where we're the most connected and we have the most ability to stay, um, you know, stay connected with people, um, it, it's it's pretty amazing to think and see how people have adapted. Um, it has forced us to push ourselves to think about, you know, do we do we need all of that real estate? Um, but you know, working as a commercial real estate designer as well, um, you know, what what I'm learning through all of my interviews and discussions with workplace um, clients is that they, they do very much value their real estate. People are wanting to go back to the office, but they're wanting to go for different reasons. They're not going there to necessarily um, do concentrative work. They're looking there to connect with people. They're looking there to connect to their resources. They're looking there. Uh, they're, they want to go back to um, connect with their mentors. They want to learn. 
Um, and so what's really exciting about um, the future of workplace is that um, the types of environments um, that people are, you know, why they're going to the office, we're designing these environments that are very different than just a desk and a computer. Um, they're going to be much more, um, more about collaborating, more about sharing, more about learning. And so I think COVID has really propelled maybe some of the more traditional um, offices or, or, or um, companies to move forward and, um, and offer people a lot more flexibility in how they work. And it, I mean, I think that I can see that too. I mean, even in our own company, it's a, you know, company that I was involved with. That is, it's a question of who's going to come in, who's not going to come in, which days. You know, the juggling of of people's uh, staff and needs. And I'm sure every company. I mean, I think lawyers have have learned that they can work from home. Uh, accountants, you know, a lot of these skill sets. You can do it, but we really miss the interaction. I, to your point about workplace, I think you're right. I think that people will want to go back. And even deal with the traffic because they want that interaction. And you can't, you, I don't think, you just can't get it remotely. You, you, you need to, you know, you need to be close to people. And, uh, and I don't think that's going to go away. It'd just be different, I suppose, in, in the future. Um, Absolutely. What about this? If, uh, and I'm sure you get this anyway, because you're, you know, such a leading design firm. People wanting to get into design and, and speaking to you about a career in design. Um, how do you advise them or what, what's a starting point school or work or. Um, if I go back to the youth, I would say definitely, um, you know, your, your artistic portfolio was really important, but um, for me, it was maybe some practical experience. So if you have an opportunity to go beyond just the technical, but actually experience building something. Um, I think that is, would be, is very helpful um, for people to get some of that experience. So if they're in high school, they can take a woodshop class or they can take, you know, something where they see how products come together. Um, I think theory is really great in design, um, but the hands-on experience and being exposed to seeing a construction site. So if you can get a co-op program where you can maybe work on a construction site um, or, you know, volunteer um, where, you know, some charity organizations build homes for the, the, the homeless, I'd say, find those opportunities to actually get involved in, and actually see how things come together because it's, um, I think um, it just makes you a, a better designer. You know, I was just thinking Habitat for Humanity is one of those, uh, one of those organizations that, you know, they're always looking for volunteers to come on site and, you know, you're not responsible for you. You've always got a mentor watching that, you you know, you don't kill yourself or somebody else. Yeah. But but the whole idea is you'd be on a construction site. And uh, uh, that's probably a good way for people. Who, like you said, uh, you know, they've been able to design at home, but they never felt what it's like to be working on, on something that's being built. It's probably a good place to start. Would you agree? I would agree. Okay. I think that's a great way to start. Here's, here's one that I'm sure everybody uh, who, who's never been creative uh, uh, is amazed by. Where do you find the inspiration when you're given like a blank, you know, canvas to work on? How do you, how do you come up with what to present to the clients? Well, it comes in various 
um, places at times um, when you're working with a company, you try to understand their brand and their vision and what is their, what is their culture and what are we celebrating? So we like to start with that story. Um, when it comes to commercial res residential, um, maybe it's the particular site um, that they're on. Maybe it has some history. Um, maybe it has an old story to tell and drawing from that as well. Um, understanding and demographics of an area. And um, so it, it, it can come in many forms as far as really digging deep to under, understand where to start. Mm -hmm. um, and then outside of that, I think being um, exposed to culture and travel, um, you know, the arts really offer a lot of inspiration and storytelling. And so I think that the more you can expose yourself to these types of things um, through travel, through theater, through museums and art, uh, I'd say that you can, and fashion as well is a great, great other industry to look to, uh, but really finding the genuine story of each project. Um, sometimes it takes a little bit of work, but I think once you understand that genuine story of whether it's a company's culture or whether it's a new condominium development or it's a new retail store and what they're, who their customer base you're trying to target, um, it has to be genuine. Otherwise, it's, it's just, you can see right through it. And so, so try to find that genuine story to tell. I know you're busy and I try to keep this to a reasonable time. So I have one last question. Um, and it's about uh, awards, either awards that you've won or awards design, uh, excuse me, uh, figure three is one. What are the ones that you're most proud of? Um, I think I'm, I was very proud of our Best of Canada Awards for the Elmer's project. Mm -hmm. um, you know, making it in the Best of Canada is, you know, really exciting, uh, was a really exciting moment um, for figure three. Um, we also, um, won a large award at the nationals for, um, we had, we did this, um, sales center for downtown Markham and we won at the national awards in the United States. And hmm. it was funny because I went to the awards not expecting anything. And we won the big prize. And it was the first time I had to go up on stage and do a speech. I had no idea it was going to happen. Um, so that was, a that was a memorable one as well. Um, uh, there's many, uh, many, the Voto Awards. So that's the value of design awards that our design industry has um, put out there, which is really about more than just aesthetics. Um, they really look at, you know, the thinking behind the design and why, why you do what you do. So you have to prove, you know, um, all of that research and, and background as to how you solve the problem. And so We've won for um, many, many projects here with Flight Center, um, the headquarters in Toronto, mm -hmm. um, a product project we did in the United States through Terra, which is a medicinal cannabis store, um, as well as uh, Omer's as well there. So we, we have a few projects we, we've won there. So no question about it. Lots of great projects. <laughs> well, listen, Suzanne, always nice to talk to you. And, and uh, I want to wish you continued success with, uh, with figure three. Uh, you know, I, I know you're just a fantastic firm and uh, you know, thank you again. And I'll, you know, I'll keep my eye on all the projects you're working on and uh, maybe we can keep in touch on that as well. Well, thank you, Howard, for reaching out to me and doing this. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. We'd like to thank Suzanne Wilkinson and you for joining us today. 
And if you enjoyed the podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And to get in touch with us, you can either reach us by email at info at rewithhd.com or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.